Welcome to Murder and Mayhem, the podcast where we explore the dark and mysterious side of writing. It's a world filled with more evil and crime than you can shake a sharpened stick at, where people save the world from certain destruction, where spies, terrorists and thugs abound, and where the killer could be someone in your very own home. It's also a world often filled with flawed heroes and likeable villains. But above all, it's a place where we explore the authors who tell these very stories, what makes them tick, and how their words manage to take us to some of the darkest corners of our imaginations. Hello everyone, my name's Valerie Koo and I'm host of the Murder and Mayhem pop-up podcast. This episode is brought to you by the popular online course, Anatomy of a Crime, How to Write About Murder. Over eight spine-chilling modules, you'll delve into each step of the murder process, including the psychological, forensic and legal aspects of homicide from premeditation right through to prison life. Brought to you by one of the world's leading centres, for writing courses, the Australian Writers' Centre. Using both real and fictional cases, you'll discover the many faces of killers, the police who pursue them, and the victims who get caught in the killer's trap, all designed to enhance your crime and thriller writing and help you bring writing about death to life. It's a self-study course with a full audio program, including accompanying handouts and videos and resources where you can view real forensic and police reports reports and a dissection of real murder scenes. Find out more at murdercourse.com. That's murdercourse.com. It's the Murder and Mayhem podcast and welcome to today's installment. Thank you so much for everyone who has been listening to this pop-up podcast series. The support that we've had has been phenomenal and we really encourage you to keep on writing and to keep on using the stuff that you're learning in this podcast series. Of course, if you haven't yet downloaded the free ebook called A Month of Murder and Mayhem, 30, spend 31 days with the world's best crime and thriller authors, you can do that for free at murdercourse.com. Thank you also to everyone who has discovered and enrolled in the course Anatomy of a Crime, How to Write About Murder. It's so gratifying getting your emails and hearing about the successes that you've had in using some of the material in your own writing. So really, really appreciate that. Now, today we are talking to Leanne Moriarty. Leanne is the only Australian author whose novel has debuted at number one on the New York Times bestseller list for her super successful book, Big Little Lies. Now, that same novel has been optioned by Nicole Kidman and Reese Witherspoon, so we're really excited about that as well. And she has recently released another novel called Truly Madly Guilty. Now, Leanne has a little bit different to, you know, she doesn't do the fast-paced spy kind of novels. She kind of does domestic thrillers, which is, uh, which is a wonderfully new emerging genre of late. Today, the lovely Alison Tate interviews Leanne Moriarty. Now, Alison is a fellow author and also my co-host on our other podcast, which is called So You Want to Be a Writer. Many of you may know that this is the podcast where we interview authors from all different genres and walks of life and countries. But here on Murder and Mayhem, we've curated the best crime and thriller authors around the world. So you have them all in one spot. 
Anyway, I hope you enjoy Leanne Moriarty's chat with Alison Tate. Leanne Moriarty's fifth novel, The Husband's Secret, was the fourth highest selling novel on Amazon for 2013. It sold more than one million copies in the US, was a number one bestseller in the UK, and was named as one of the top 10 books of the year by People magazine. It remains on the New York Times bestseller list. Now comes her sixth novel, Big Little Lies, which begins with a school trivia night. Welcome, Leanne. Thank you so much, Alison. So, firstly, let's talk a little bit about Big Little Lies. Was your sixth novel any easier to write than your first, Three Wishes? Um, no, no, it, was, it <laughs> wasn't. I don't, think, <laughs> I don't think they get any easier, really. Um, to me, I'm, I'm still very interested in the writing process and I'm always looking at what other authors do because I don't think I've I don't think I've worked it out yet so no each time it's still it's still just as terrifying and I guess this time I also had the the weight of expectations um, because the husband's secret had done so much better than my other novels so uh, so it was even scarier well I was going to ask you about that because you know that we're, we're talking about some big numbers and some fairly impressive lists and all sorts of exciting things going on there with the husband's secret and I guess you know does does that increase the pressure it, well well it did because uh, um, for example my American editor sent me an email um, saying you know you took a darker turn with this book and and readers seem to like that so but basically what the point of the email was she was saying do that again <laughs> um, so, so I had to you know I really had to think I, d- I didn't want to get caught in that trap of writing to a formula, thinking, okay, you did this, just do exactly the same thing again. Um, but, but I didn't, I do appreciate that readers did seem to like the fact that my other books are focused on relationships, but I took a slightly darker turn. Uh, and I enjoyed taking that turn, so I, I, I did that again. Okay, so when you sit down to write in this, this sort of um, instance, you know, are there, is it um, is it more difficult to concentrate on your own voice in your head telling you what to do when you know there there are those other voices saying do that again? Uh, yes, it is. But in the end, I, I, you become paralysed if you if you listen to them. You just have to say be quiet now, uh, <laughs> and uh, and eventually, once you get caught up in the story, then. Well, then it's just finishing the story. And because I'm not a planner, I'm wondering what's going to happen. So eventually, once I'm a few chapters in, then then I'm fine. Because it's bad luck. I'm on this track now, so I just have to finish it. Okay, so you are a person who writes by the seat of your pants. You start with nothing. Yes, Yes, I am. I keep wondering if I'll change, but um, so far that's the way I've, I've done it. How do you feel that that affects your writing process? Do you do you find that you write yourself into corners, or do you um, are you one of those people that writes the whole thing out and then goes back and redrafts heavily? How does it How does it work? Uh, no, I don't. I don't. Uh, well, I, f- I find for me because I'm I don't know what's going to happen next. I do have a terrible habit of going back and editing what I just wrote the day before because that's easier than. Uh, not knowing what's going to happen. So therefore, at the end, I don't have to go back and redraft. Right. Um, but, uh, and for me, it makes it more interesting, but as I said, it also makes it a more fearful process. 
So that's why I do wonder. I'm, I'm always ready. I'm ready to change. If uh, you know, I, I, I read about other authors who have it all planned out and how they they therefore write quicker. So maybe when I grow up, I will. And how long does it take you to write a book? Uh, it's, I think it takes a year. I can never work out how long it actually takes because because I've got two small children and um, because I'm writing in between other things. So I'm always interested to know how long it would take me if somebody locked me in a room and I just did nothing else but write. Um, so I, I, th- I say a year. Do you write every day? Like I know that you're working around children and other things and school trivia nights clearly which we will get to in a moment <laughs> but do you uh, do you sort of try to set aside time every day to write or not not every day i do i treat it more as as my job so um monday to friday when i'm nearing the end um and i'm on deadline i might take some time during the weekend but otherwise it's just uh when i can get childcare. do you have an ending in your mind like i know that you write I mean, uh, particularly like given the, so let's just talk a little bit about Big Little Lies for a minute. You know, it's it begins at the school trivia night, someone dies. Do you know who did it right from uh, the start? So, no, I didn't know who did it. No, oh. I didn't know. Uh, and I can't, I can't remember if I knew even who, I, I can't remember now if I knew who died, huh? I must have known that fairly early on. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think about a third of the way through, I probably knew right. who did it. I'm, I'm trying to remember now the process. And is that like a thank God moment? Like you've worked yes. out? <laughs> yes, it always is. So, for example, with The Husband's Secret, I I put my characters in a terrible situation and then I'm thinking I don't know how I'm going to get them out of it. So I definitely remember the moment when I worked out with them um, what I was going to do, I can't. I can't remember with uh, Big Little Lies. It's so I find it really tricky often to look back and think how did that all come about. It is um, but I, I know there's no bit of paper with it all structured. I know that for a fact. <laughs> <laughs> Are you always then? I mean, obviously, a lot of your writing, particularly given that you're working around a family and things, a lot of your writing must be going on at the back of your head all the time as you sort of try to tease out these things. Exactly, yes. So I remember I was driving the car. I, was, I remember exactly where I was on my way home from the gym when I worked out the ending to the husband's secret. I know the set of traffic lights where I worked oh, really? out. And the relief was enormous. <laughs> yes, yes, definitely. <laughs> yes, so definitely. And also going for walks. I find walking, um, I'm always thinking then of plots and things. So, yeah. And are you always, are you always sort of gathering ideas? Have you, like, have you got your next book? Do you know what it's going to be about? I, I haven't got my next book, so I'm in that stage of um, of just thinking and and yes, yes, definitely, always looking for ideas. Okay. Um, and so you don't sort of just you don't sort of you're not one of those people. Like I remember doing a workshop with Sue Wolf once, many, many thousands of years ago, and it was a fabulous workshop because it showed me that people work in incredibly different ways and she is one of those people that will go for a walk and she will see something and she will come home and she will write a little piece about that and then she will go and overhear a conversation on a train and it will spark something and she will go home and write a bit about that and then as it all comes together she realizes that she has a book which I just found extraordinary Um, do you do that sort of thing do you sort of like write down conversations that you hear or I, I definitely, I definitely do that. Uh, yes, I don't know, but I seem to need an actual premise. So uh, I've got little, little bits and pieces that I write down, and they might uh, come in useful. But I don't think it happens the way it, um, 
it happens with Sue, with, mm. it then forms a novel. I seem to need to have an actual idea and then, then I'll go back and think, oh, good, I could use that little, that little scene, that little conversation. Okay, so the idea for this one I found fascinating, like this, this sense of, you know, everyone will have their experience of the school trivia night. No <laughs> one's ever died at one that I've been at, but there have been <laughs> times when there could have been blood on the dance floor. Um, so did you find the inspiration for this book at one particular evening of your own or did it come from elsewhere? No, I haven't actually been to a school trivia night. The school where my children are at, and, and I'm still relatively new to being a school mum, um, and they haven't they haven't done a school trivia night yet. It was well, actually they won't do one now, will they? <laughs> no, they won't. No, <laughs> you, right. You've failed that forevermore. Yes. <laughs> so, so where, um, where then? My, did the idea my friend, come from? Uh, the author Burr Carroll. Oh yes. I was on a little book tour with her, and we were looking. We had time in between events to do some shopping, and we were desperately looking for. Uh, she was dressing up as Audrey Hepburn, and so we were looking for beads and things for that. And so the you know the long beads yeah, 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 and all yeah, that, yeah. Uh, and that seemed to stay in my mind. And that's when I got this. And I think all of her table, yeah, she was at a table, and they were all dressing up as Audrey Hepburn, uh, and that stayed in my head as a visually interesting. It's great, thing. isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I asked her if, I, and that's when I came up with this idea about the men are all dressed up as Elvis, and the women are all dressed up as yeah. as Audrey. And I asked her for permission to to use that, <laughs> and she said, "Take it, it's yours." <laughs> she did. <laughs> I said, "Do you know?" I said, "I've written too much, too bad. I have to take it." <laughs> yes. Yeah, so yeah, it does come down to that. So you come from a writing family. Your mm. sisters, Jacqueline and Nicola, are also published novelists, which I think is amazing. Conversation at your house must be terrific. Um, <laughs> and um, I read that you wrote your first novel, Three Wishes, in a fit of sibling rivalry. <laughs> I, I did, definitely. So it was because Jackie um, uh, had written her first book, Feeling Sorry for Celia. So she'd basically gone ahead and achieved our our childhood dream um, and I hadn't even tried, so I always say if it wasn't for Jackie, I know that I wouldn't have ever... I would have kept thinking about it, and I would have kept writing first chapters that didn't go anywhere, but she, it was because of her success that pushed me to actually finish finish Three Wishes. And so is writing a competitive sport in the Moriarty household? Uh, uh, no, I don't think we're competitive... Um, no, I mean, it was competitive in the. I, I really wanted to be published too, uh, and and I was inspired, and I was jealous, I definitely admit that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I don't think now we're, I don't think we're now we're competitive. I think now that we're all published, we're genuinely happy for each other. I know we are very competitive when it comes to material, so for family stories and things like that, we get pretty mad with each other. If you use them up. Yes. So and have, Nicola, they, have you exploited everything that ever happened yet, or is there more to come? I think there's more to come. But oh. Yes, Nicola used something, and we were so cross that she had taken a, a good family story. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Only because she got in first, right? That's right. Well, I'm the eldest. I should get them all first. <laughs> you absolutely should. As another eldest, I would say I totally agree with that. <laughs> You should have first dibs on absolutely everything. On everything, yeah, that's everything. right. That's how it should work. Um, yes. All right, so when you began your writing career with Three Wishes, social media was pretty much non-existent. And this idea of the author platform was, um, you know, was probably confined to bookshop tours and that sort of stuff. Like, how do you feel about this idea that 
writers need to create this platform even as they write their first books? Um, well, I'm not a fan, um, and I'm not sure why I'm not. So, for example, Nicola, she's she's younger, she's 15 years younger than me, and she has taken her social media in her personal life as well. Yeah. Um, and she loves it and does it effortlessly. Uh, but for me, I'm, I find I'm just too... Uh, I'm, yeah, I don't like it, uh, and I feel I do feel a little resentful of the pressure to be on Facebook and to be on Twitter, which I'm not on Twitter. Uh, but you I are on Facebook, is that? But correct? I am on Facebook, and but I should also say, so I I complain, but at the same time, I adore the fact that I have readers. You know, <laughs> I'm, I love the fact that I they're saying nice things to me, so I don't complain about that. Uh, <laughs> I'm pretty happy to get all my my needy, um, you know, um, well, my needy. All the self doubt is completely, you know, reinforced, isn't it? With, yes, with help exactly. and praise. Yeah, but so, then I'm I'm so slow at liking and commenting, and then because I only have, I think also because I only have such limited time at the computer screen. For me, I think I I need to write. I can't, and you could swallow up. I normally only have three or four hours and I want to write in that time, not be sitting there responding to Facebook comments. Well, that's the thing. It, it is a time thing too. Like, mm-hmm. so you have a, I, th- I believe you have a website and you have um, Facebook and that's, is that fairly much what you... That, that's that, it. That's oh, I have a blog, that I, a blog that I never update. So. Oh, fabulous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so that's not really the point so of it. So blogging for yeah. authors is not one of your things, shall we say? <laughs> Not, but no. do you feel even in like you know like you're um, you're established and successful? Do you still feel that is there still pressure for you to be doing it? Do you feel that? Uh, yeah, oh yes. Well, the publishers would like it. I mean, I have a I have a marketing degree. I understand. Uh, you know, I'm a product, and if I I'm sure if I'd, I'd been um, if they had social media when I was in marketing, I would have you know been telling people to to use it. Uh, and you know you can lose you can lose your readers. There's lots of competition out there. So yeah, sure. I, I think I, I, my publishers would still prefer me to to do it to do it. Um, but they'd also prefer me to keep writing. So I guess if yeah. it's a choice between that, then they'll like the next book rather than um, yeah. yeah. And I guess your limited time, um, you you um, used to write uh, for children as well as for adults, but you don't um, do that anymore. Is that that's basically be, that's a time thing um, in the sense that you have limited time, and the adult fiction is working so well. Yeah, the, adu- well, the adult fiction just wanted to do just, that. Yeah, the adult fiction just way outsold the the children's fiction, so uh, they'd like me to yes to focus on those books. So maybe one day in future years, maybe I'll I'll try my children's books again, but for for now, I'm focusing on the adult books. Yeah. Fair enough. So, do you um, read reviews, or do you? Uh, read them? Oh well, <laughs> <laughs> I could lie and say I never read them. Jackie, my sister Jackie, uh, uh, has much better willpower than me, um, and she just made the decision to not read them. Uh, but I still, I still look in every now and then, but not as much as I did when I first started. All right. I started writing, and I know when a book first comes out. So when Big Little Lies first comes out, <clears throat> I'll be looking to see the initial response, the initial reaction. But I just quickly skim my eyes over, so right. so nothing hurts. 
I was going to say, because it must be very difficult not to take it all to heart. Yes, definitely. Especially um, some people write reviews, they're so angry with you. Sorry, I did my best. <laughs> I was just it sounds so personal sometimes. Yeah. So, well, I guess people have, you know, I guess everybody comes to a book with their own particular, every reader comes yeah. with their own experience and their own expectation, don't they? So you, and with so many more reader reviews out there now, it's not, you know, it's not just a you know, a professional reviewer per se, it is no. It is much more personal than it ever has been, isn't it? Yes, exactly, yeah. yeah. Which I guess is something for everyone to bear in mind. <laughs> yes, yes. The best thing, I think, I think really, that, uh, I mean, the reviews directly contradict each other, so it's it's pointless reading them, really. Yeah. Um, you just have, you, yeah, I would advise to be, follow Jackie's rule and don't read them. <laughs> <laughs> we should all have Jackie's willpower. That's right, yeah. All right. So beyond not reading your own reviews, um, do you have three tips for aspiring authors? Uh, yes. So, yes, don't read your reviews one day when they come out. Uh, number one, I think writing your first novel is like being on a diet. And so, really, you've got to have uh, – that's why, you know, programs like Weight Watchers and that are so successful, you've got to have something that keeps you going. Uh, so anybody can write the first chapter, but it's a really long task to, to finish it. So either join a writer's group or um, get a friend to become a writing partner, um, set up a contract with somebody, say, I promise I'll get you a chapter by such and such a date, that sort of thing. You've got to trick yourself into writing the first novel. Did you do that? No, well, I because I did a master's degree. Of that course. for me was, uh, yeah. but I, I may have been able to achieve the same thing by joining a writers' group. I was going to say, maybe you've got not home. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, I could, I could have done that too. For, for me, the because I'd spent a lot of money on doing the master's degree, that helped. Yes, too. So yes. you know, maybe do that. You had some spend skin a lot in the of money. game. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, and secondly, so then just focus on the writing. Don't focus too much on the world of writing. It's not really, you know, the focus on uh, all the little rules and whether it should be double-spaced or single-spaced yeah. and all that sort of thing. None of that actually matters is the writing. So I find it interesting how often writers, uh, aspiring writers, don't are uh, not actually writing. <laughs> They're spending a lot of time just, you know, going to events and yeah. reading websites about that sort of thing. Just first of all, you've got to write yes. your book. Um, is that two tips? The That's two, tip and you're doing brilliantly. <laughs> the third tip could be once you once you um, once you have your book written, um, don't read your reviews. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to reiterate that, aren't you? That's, yes, that's, that's right. Yes. <laughs> the main focus you should take away from today's interview, do yes, not read exactly. the reviews. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's fantastic. Okay, Leanne, well, thank you so much for talking to us today. I really appreciate your time. I will link uh, to your website and your Facebook page in the show notes, but you can find Leanne at leannemoriarty.com where she doesn't blog very regularly. And, but you will but find she does her appreciate Facebook. your comments. <laughs> and you will find her on Facebook occasionally loving your comments. Yes, um, resentfully. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so much uh, again. And we, uh, yeah, we really appreciate your time and good luck with the new book. Thank you so much, Alison. My pleasure. 
there you go. Alison's chat with Leanne Moriarty. I love how Leanne says that writing a novel is a bit like being on a diet. Um, I'm not sure whether I'd call it like a diet, but the main thing is that you've. she says that you need something to keep you going. And you know, that might be a writer's group or that might be just an accountability partner. And I encourage you to either find a writer's group or get an accountability partner. Or sometimes you might need something like a life coach. So the person may not necessarily need um, experience in writing if it's actually just the motivation that you need as opposed to the feedback on your writing. Um, Leanne says that you've got to trick yourself into writing that first novel and I really just take that as saying you need to put the right support mechanisms in place so that you keep on writing and you get beyond your first three chapters and you actually get to a whole final draft, a completed book because you're not going to get published unless you have a completed book. So what support mechanisms have you got in place or that you can put in place this week in order to help you get there. Thanks for listening to the Murder and Mayhem podcast and we'll talk to you next episode. The Murder and Mayhem podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, one of the world's leading centres for writing courses, with online and classroom writing courses in all genres of writing, including crime writing. Students enrol from all over the world. You'll find a course to suit your needs right here at writerscentre.com.au.